This morning's reading is taken from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Today, we're continuing our series looking at Jesus and we're looking at comparison and contentment. One of the things I absolutely love about the Bible and the eyewitness accounts of Jesus is that they never shy away from the more complex aspects of life. And one of the great challenges we all face in life is in the area of comparison. We are tempted to compare ourselves, our lives, our skill sets, our achievements, our situation with other people. And in one sense, that's very, very natural because you try and make sense of your life and your identity and whether you're doing well or maybe not doing so well, as you try and give a frame of meaning to this thing called a life. It's natural to look around you and to look at other people and to try and work out what are the guide points. How am I really doing? Am I successful? Am I sufficiently driven or too driven? You know, am I beautiful enough or, or maybe there are other people who are more beautiful than me? Am I popular enough or maybe I'm not popular enough? You know, how wealthy actually am I in real terms? How moral am I? Are my values in the right place? You know, if you're a parent, you can sometimes think, at the end of the day, am I a good parent? Or maybe not such a good parent as I look around. We want to gauge ourselves. And there can be a good side to that. You, know, you can learn by looking at others, by watching others, by being inspired by them. But I think we all know there's often another side to it. So often, when we compare ourselves to other people, we either end up feeling superior, we kind of feel that assurance of like, yeah, I'm better than them. Or we feel inferior, we go away and we feel that kind of anxious sense of feeling, 
oh, they're better than me. In one sense, comparison is corrosive because it either puffs you up to pride or it drives you down to despair. And so often that's what's happening when we compare. So often comparison steals our contentment. It takes our satisfaction from the blessings in our life. It consumes our focus, our attention, makes it harder to be happy in a real sense. Comparison is the thief of joy. So how does Jesus help us to navigate this whole area? Well, this passage speaks directly to it. And so it's really exciting to see what we're going to learn today. And the first thing we see in this passage is how important it is to resist the distraction of comparison. This should have been the most amazing moment of Peter's whole life. Extraordinary. I mean, he'd spent three years with Jesus. He was called by Jesus. He was trained by Jesus. He'd seen Jesus up close. He'd seen him perform miracles. He's heard his teaching. He'd heard God's audible voice when Jesus was transfigured before him. He was one of his closest three followers. And then he has his moment of crisis when Jesus is arrested. He denies Jesus three times, denies he even knows him. Then he goes out and he weeps bitterly and he experiences, I'm sure, the confusion and the distress of feeling that he has betrayed his Lord. And then he experiences the disorientation of Jesus dying on the cross and then the extraordinary joy of Jesus rising from the dead. And here, just before this passage, the risen Jesus meets with his disciples and then they come to him and then he actually cooks breakfast for them. I mean, imagine Peter. For the rest of his life, he could eat out on that. You know, this is a nice lunch, but I'll tell you, he cooked me breakfast once. You know, the hands that flung stars into space threw fish on the barbecue for me. You know, it's an amazing moment. And then, what would you expect if you were Peter? You know, how would you expect... Jesus to speak to you, he takes you for this walk. What are you expecting? Robust feedback? You know, you've blown it. You're lucky I haven't dealt with you already. You know, I guess you might be all right if you can keep your nose clean for every day of the rest of your life. That might be enough. You know, what would you be expecting? But what's fascinating is Jesus forgives him. And then that's miraculous, but he doesn't just forgive him, he restores him. And then he doesn't just restore him, he tells Peter he's got like a prize place in Jesus' purposes for the redemption of the world. You've got a vital role in my purposes, I want you to feed my sheep. It's extraordinary, this is the most amazing moment in Peter's life. In 20 minutes, all his regrets are extinguished and all his hopes are reborn. And Jesus finishes this amazing pep talk with Peter, you know, taking him from despair to hope. And then he says, look, you're also, at the end of your life, when you're old, you're going to face death. And it's going to be a tough death. Your hands are going to be stretched out. You're probably going to die on a cross. It's going to be tough. Tells him, very few people know what the end is, but he tells him that this is where it's heading. But then he gives him this kind of rousing finale. He says, follow me probably turning and looking Peter in the eyes as they go on their walk. Follow me. It's like the perfect motivational speech from the most important person in the whole universe right in front of you. And at that vital moment, Peter is there with the risen Jesus 
seeking to coach him through this most amazing moment in his life. How could he respond? Thanks. (laughs) Yes, I'm in. Huddle up. And at that vital moment, Peter turns, distracted, and he sees that John is walking behind them. And it's almost as if he can't enjoy or appreciate what Jesus is entrusting him with and imparting to him because he's distracted by what's going on with someone else. And Peter says to Jesus, as his response to this most amazing 20 minutes in his life, he says, Lord, what about him? Lord, what about him? Four words. Four words which reveal something really fascinating and challenging about the human condition. You can be in the presence of all you hoped for. You can be experiencing something which is exceeding all your expectations. And still, you can be distracted by comparison. Peter, in that moment, was closer to Jesus than anyone on the face of the earth. He was being coached by the person who defeated death and hell. But he can't appreciate the moment because his head is turned back towards John. And Peter is looking over his shoulder to another person. And because he's worried about whether Jesus might have something better for John, whether he might be dealing with John in a slightly different way, he runs the risk of missing what Jesus is giving to him. He's distracted from his own proximity to Jesus Because I think he's worried that someone else might be closer to Jesus. So often in life, comparison tends to undermine the very thing it's seeking to cover. What does this look like in life? Well, Didier is going to come and demonstrate this for me. So would you welcome up Didier? So Didier... um, so often in life, Didier, come on, come, 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 come. So often in life, you know, you're kind of, you know, God gives you gifts and things like that. But what happens is it's very easy, even when you're in the moment of receiving something, to be distracted by what other people might be receiving. So you're, you're distracted by the blessings other people might be receiving and you can't, can't enjoy what God might have blessed you with. You're kind of distracted by the gifts that other people might be receiving. And that takes the focus off the gifts that God might have given to you. You're distracted by the opportunities that other people might have. Maybe their skill sets, maybe their passions. You look at that opportunity, you think, why haven't I got that? And it distracts you from the opportunities and the gifts that God might have already given to you. You don't make the most of them because you're distracted by what might be in someone else's hand. How often is it the case that we don't even make the most of the blessings that are in our own hands because our head is turned by what other people might be enjoying? Thank you so much, Didier. Thanks, Didier. Don't be distracted. But it goes both ways. I think it's really important to say this. I mean, obviously, Peter's a bit distracted, but there's obviously quite a lot of competition between Peter and John. I mean, John describes himself through his own gospel as the disciple Jesus loved. (laughs) I mean, there's a little bit of needle there. You know, we know in John 
uh, 20, verse 3, John records this. He said, So Peter and the other disciple, me, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, me, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> you know, at the end of our passage today, he says, Jesus did many other things as well, but we probably haven't got room for them in my gospel. But we do have room for me to tell you that I beat Peter in a race. <laughs> it's really important you remember that for all time. Very easy to be distracted by comparison and competition. And I've experienced this in my life. Uh, many years ago when I was working, I, um, I, one of my colleagues was a similar age to me and he worked in a similar sector to me and we had a similar skill set. And because of that, uh, lots of people would kind of compare us. And so there was this temptation for me to start comparing myself with him. And even though we wanted to do slightly different things and we we're in you know, slightly different areas, there was that temptation. And the more people said it, the more it kind of got into me. And up until that point in my life, I hadn't, I hadn't really been conscious of being comparing myself with someone or being envious of someone. But then I, I started to become more aware of how he was doing his career than I was with the things I was doing. And... I couldn't enjoy my successes quite as much because he was also being very successful. And I, I was, kind of had one eye on what I was doing, but another eye was always looking at what he was doing. And I realized what was crazy about it was if you'd have said to me five years before, oh, Steve, when you start working, this is the kind of work you're going to be doing. This is the opportunities you're going to get. I would have bitten your hand off for it was beyond my wildest dreams in every single sense. But what happened was, comparison started to distract me from the joys that I should have been experiencing. And it actually started to take my focus off the job I should have been doing. And I had to start praying about it. I had to start buying books about it. Like, how do I deal with this? Because it had really started to get under my skin. It's so easy to be distracted by comparison. And comparison spoils your appreciation of the gifts that God has given you. And today it's a particular challenge. You know, a few hundred years ago, you, you didn't know more than 30 or 40 people. And actually, your life was pretty much determined for you. Your dad was a butcher, you're going to be a butcher. You know, oh, your, your mum made shoes, you'll make shoes. Whereas now, the whole world is open before us and everyone is expected to chart their own course. And as you do that, you can compare yourself not just with the people in your area or the people you see on a weekly basis, you can compare yourself to everyone on the face of the earth. You have millions of opportunities for comparison every single day. And so even when you're trying to enjoy the blessings God has put into your lap and the opportunities he has given you and the skill sets and the great things he's put into your life, you, know, you can be having a great time with your friends and you go on Instagram and you're like, but I'm not in Mauritius. <laughs> it would be better if we were all in Mauritius too. You can have a great opportunity at work and someone else, oh, you won the Nobel Prize. I'm delighted for you. The temptation to compare has never been greater. And so we have to resist the temptation to comparison. Resist it. What I've learned in life is that once you get down this path, no one's happy. 
I guarantee you, if there's someone you can pay yourself with and think they're amazing and think your life would just be perfect if you could be like them and have the blessings they had and the gifts they had and the opportunities they had, if you speak to them, they'll be comparing themselves to someone else. They're not happy. They're not content. Resist the temptation to compare. But then the second thing we see in this passage is turn comparison to contentment. Jesus says, I love this. He says, what is that to you? you know, what does it matter if I ask if I want him to remain alive until I return? What is that to you? See, comparison comes from two mindsets. One is a scarcity mindset, which is, you know, there's only so many opportunities and blessings to go around. So if someone else is winning, that means in some way that I must be losing. In someone else is being blessed in some way, that means there must be less blessing for me. It's like a scarcity mindset. And then we have this status mindset, which is my identity is founded on my achievements and my gifts. And that either passes up to pride or it makes us a bit insecure and despair. And Jesus takes apart both these mindsets in a moment. And firstly, the scarcity mindset, he's like, I love the way Jesus speaks to Peter. I wish I could have been there. Because, I mean, obviously Jesus very rarely loses his temper, but I imagine he slightly spat these words out. You know, he imagine Jesus thought quite carefully about how he's going to reinstate Peter and maybe hope that Peter might be a little bit thankful for it. It's almost like Jesus is saying, back off. It's none of your business. Step off. Oh, Peter, do you want to be responsible for determining how I act, not only in relation to your life, but in relation to everyone else's life? How much blessing and trial and challenge and opportunity would weave together into my perfect plan for everyone's life? You want to be at the heart of that? You want to make the decisions? You'd be rubbish at it. Absolutely rubbish. You can even decide how your own life should go. You'd mess it up. We've seen that. You are supremely underqualified to decide how I should act towards you. And yet you want to have an influence on how I should act towards other people. I'm not going to tell you someone else's story. You've got enough to be focused on yourself. And then I love this. He says, you know, if I want to keep him alive until I come again, what's that to you? That doesn't mean that somewhere the Apostle John is like wandering, like, where is he? He's tired, 2,000 years, just like, you know. <laughs> Jesus is saying like, oh, you're, you say, oh, you're going to die in a painful way. You want to make sure John dies in a painful way too. Good for you. <laughs> no, it's not that. Jesus is saying to him, like, I can do whatever I like. He doesn't even have to die. Doesn't that blow your categories? Well, maybe I'll keep him alive forever. What are you going to do about that, Peter? Cry? <laughs> I can do whatever I like in relation to John. My power is not limited by the cap that you're imposing on him. I'm not limited by the categories in your framework. There's not a scarcity to my power or my blessing or my opportunity or the gifting that I bestow on people. So why are you worried about him? What is that to you? Now I think it's interesting because in one sense, Jesus, I mean, Peter's response to Jesus is crazy. You know, I'm offering you the world. I want you to reign with me. I want you to transform the world with me. You know, I face death and hell to have this conversation. I've defeated all your enemies. Let's build the church together. Let's, let's, let's create together God's, God's kind of appointed plan for the redemption of the whole universe. Why are you looking at John, why are you distracted by something so small? What is that to you? I mean, it's worth saying, what is that to you? 
Why are you worried about that thing? Come on, Peter, what, what is that to you? Because the thing is, your comparisons tell you your desires. And they tell you what you most want. And they tell you what you most value. They tell you in what your security as a human being is based. In one sense, your comparisons tell you your loves. And so your comparisons reveal your idols. Because if you follow your comparisons, you'll find your idols. The things you build your life on. Not necessarily bad things, but not the ultimate things. The things that give you security and satisfaction. How does this work? Well, just to give you an example. You know, I, I, I have never personally been interested in cars. Like, that's just not it for me. Like, I just, I just want to put your mind at rest. I've never ever envied for a second any one of your cars. Like, I've never in my life looked at someone else's car and think, wow, I'm comparing your car to my car. Your car is great. My car is rubbish. I feel so inferior. It's just not about cars for me. All through my 20s, we drove a car. It's just going to come up on the screen now. Um, I love this car. And uh, it's, it's a Ford Fiesta. We got it about fourth hand. Emreg, that car is like a tin can on wheels. If you went over 70, it made funny noises and vibrated quite a lot. And, um, and I loved it. There were guys at my church in East London who were convinced that I wasn't a lawyer because that was the car I drove. They thought it was like some big, you know, joke and I wasn't actually a lawyer. But I've just never been interested in cars. It's not a thing for me. But one day, I was going to an event and my friend picked me up and he was sitting in the back seat. And I got in the back seat next to him he had a driver. I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're saying you can have someone who drives you around from place to place? I'm going to compare myself to that. I'd like a little bit of that. I, was, I wasn't interested in the vehicle. I just wanted the driver. Like I wanted, I wanted the, the freedom from all hassle and inconvenience. I wanted someone to just navigate the roadworks of life for me. I just wanted someone to kind of usher me through all the inconvenience and hassle of getting from one destination to another. I was like, I think I was made to have a driver. You know, I, you know, I, for me, I realized it wasn't about the possession. It was about the status and feeling that I was important enough to be shipped from place to place without inconvenience. That's the thing I realized I had to be careful about. If you follow your comparisons, you find your loves. You find the things you place your identity, your security in. Maybe that's your beauty or your achievements or your brains or your EQ or your friendships or your wealth or your role or that you're a wonderful person and everyone loves you. Jesus said to Peter, you must follow me. The antidote to comparison is a, is a renewed focus on Jesus. To see that everything you might seek through comparison is found in Jesus. You, know, you might compare yourself with someone else's wealth. But in Jesus, you have all the riches in the universe. You might compare yourself to someone else's beauty. But in Jesus, you are more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Unique. Carved by God. Compare yourself to someone else's status. But you're a child of the most high God, a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son of the king. Compare yourself to someone else's power. But the sovereign Lord lives within you. Compare yourself to the opportunities that other people have. But he can raise you up in a moment. Nothing is needful, he withholds. Nothing is unnecessary, he says. If you can see him afresh today, if you can realise what he offers, what he calls you to, that frees you 
from comparison and helps you move towards admiration. It means that you don't attach your gifts to yourself. Like I'm who I am because I have these gifts, these items in my life, these things that I build my security on. And actually, when you look at other people, you don't associate their gifts with them. It means you can look at someone else and just admire the gifts for the extraordinary, benevolent gift from God they are. And you can praise him. Lord, I just think it's amazing that you made that person like that. Lord, it's amazing that you gave that person that gifting. It's amazing they're so good at that. And that comes from you. I didn't even pick the century or the continent in which I was born. It's all gift. And it comes from you. You can thank him for the gifts you've given. He's given to you. Develop a new appreciation for the gifts in your life. Just give thanks for them. And that temptation to compare just dissipates and disappears. You can rejoice when others succeed. You can praise God for the gifts you see at work, whether yours or other people's. And then you can, what I would call, be a magpie. This is my top tip. You see, it's very rare in life for me. I'm trying to cultivate this, but, but it has for many years been very rare to me to look at someone else and say, oh, they're so much more loving than me. They're so much more patient than me. Normally that's not what I'm comparing with other people. And increasingly that's what I want to compare. I want to be like a magpie. I say, Lord, you've given that person such a gift of generosity. Would you grow that gift in me? You've given that person such an amazing joy. Would you grow that gift in me? That person is so peaceful even in the storms. Would you grow that gift in me? You've given that person supernatural patience. Would you help me to be more like that? You've given that person such self-control. Would you grow that gift in me? And then from the security of knowing that in Jesus, our comparisons are fulfilled and completed and knowing in Jesus that we can grow in those gifts, it helps us to move from comparison to kind of collaboration. If Jesus could have done everything by himself, would have been so much easier. And yet he chose to rope in this group of random, disorganized, failing people to partner with. He said to them, you'll do even greater things than me, completely unthreatened by the fact that they might do greater things than the Son of God. I imagine when Jesus was in a room, even though he was above all things, he never made someone else feel inferior. I imagine when Jesus was in a room, he always felt confident and centered because he was trusting his father and securing his identity. You see, what we're called to is too significant, too important to be capped by a spirit of comparison. Jesus is an example of extraordinary collaboration. Peter and John need each other. Their skill sets complement each other. Their personalities complement each other. Their giftings complement each other. All through the Acts of the Apostles, right after this scene, there's this really common phrase that comes up again and again and again. I think it comes up over 14 times. Do you know what the phrase is? Peter and John. Again and again, they're together. 
They pray for people to be healed together. They pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit together. They boldly declare their faith when they're on trial together. Stand trial together in the same courtroom and they boldly declare their faith to the judges. They preach together. They suffer together. They're courageous together because they have realised that what unites them is infinitely greater than anything that might divide them. And their shared passion is Jesus. God wanted them to be his appointed agents for his purposes so it's no surprise that the devil tried to get them to compare themselves against each other. I encourage you, if you're struggling with comparison at the moment, the enemy always overplays his hand. Don't miss what God might be trying to do through that very relationship you find troubling and challenging. How that might be a way in which he's establishing his purposes in your workplace, in your hospital, in your business, in your startup, in your friendship, in your flat share, in your family, in this church in this city, in this nation. The Holy Spirit often rests on the relationship between two people. Just think what God could do. They lost their desire to make a name for themselves and they together would live and die to make Jesus' name great. I encourage you, Don't be distracted by comparison. Don't lose sight of all you have to be content with. And see where in your life today Jesus might be nudging you to move from comparison to coming alongside people, partnering with them, working with them, and seeing what he might want to do wherever he has positioned you for his purposes. Imagine what it would be if we went out through this city and beyond confident in our identity, secure in our giftings, able to celebrate our colleagues, even our bosses, the people who report to us, the people we spend time with, cheer them on, invest in them, unthreatened, desiring to see them flourish. Obviously walking to a different beat when we walk into the rooms of our lives. People might say, what is it that marks you out? What is it that makes you calm? What is it that makes you a greatest champion of our colleagues? What is it that sets you apart? Because you know where your identity is held and you know who's entrusted you with a great purpose and therefore it's a great joy to come alongside other people and see what he might want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.